You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Soap here. Excited to be joined by a 2020 NLC New York fellow. Shaloka Iyengar is here. We'll catch up with her. She's a scientist, which seems very relevant in these strange COVID times that we're in. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. All right, Shaloka, I feel like scientists can mean so many different things. How do you usually define what you do for a living and what kind of scientist you are? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. So I'm a neuroscientist. For a long part, uh, for almost nine years, I studied epilepsy. So I was really interested in figuring out, you know, what is it in neurons and in the brain that makes certain certain people, certain animals even susceptible to having seizures. And epilepsy is actually a very interesting neurological disorder as a scientist because you know, for so many neurological disorders like schizophrenia, depression, it seems like there's really not a very good animal model. So how would you know? Well, how, what is depression, right? And there's so many questions about even what, because it's so variable, there's so much variability between people, even within the same person. So epilepsy really provides a great opportunity, not just as a pathology to understand what happens in the brain when things don't work well, but also what happens for the brain to work well. Um, so I was studying a process called synaptic plasticity, which sounds really fancy, but all it means is, you know, how the brain changes as we, it changes every single day, every single minute, as we have new experiences and learn new things. So that's a super long <laughs> explanation <laughs> of what I did. And then do you get to put this knowledge into practice in a lab? Or are you out teaching people? How does the scientific knowledge that you have get put out into the world? Exactly. No, that's a great question. So for the longest time, I was in a lab actually doing experiments, writing papers, you know, presenting on conferences. For various reasons, I realized that um, that academic life really wasn't for me and uh, many things went into it. But what I do now is I do teach. So I teach at the Museum of Natural History. It's a great opportunity as a scientist uh, because I get to teach neuroscience and, and another course called uh, it's on evolution. So although I don't you know, talk about the brain every single day, the training that I received during my PhD on, you know, how to take knowledge and how to talk about it in the terms of a historical context of what has been done, but also how to think about how that knowledge proceeds the field forward. So I do a lot of teaching. I also work with several organizations, uh, both here and in India, to really use my scientific training and uh, quote-unquote expertise, if I can say so, <laughs> to um, to directly help people. And then in terms of a moment in your life when you realized neuroscience is what you wanted to do, was there in fact a moment or was it a series of events that kind of led you in that direction and one day you woke up and you're a neuroscientist? How did that come to you? <laughs> sure. So actually, uh, you know, I grew up in India. My bachelor, my undergrad degree is in pharmacy. And, um, you know, in India, so I grew up in a city called Ahmedabad, which is in the western part of the country. Mm. And uh, I actually grew up literally 15 minutes from where Mahatma Gandhi has his ashram. So that's where he started the freedom movement from. Uh, it's really interesting because, you know, for me, it was a, just going down the street and seeing where this great man lived uh, for a lot of his you know years. Um, but one of the problems that we had and still have is that of stray animals. So there's a lot of stray dogs that no one really owns them, but the culture is such that many people do take care of them. But what happens is, you know, there's 
as with any place that is rapidly urbanizing, there's a lot of problems with human and animals interacting. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes not really so. And for the longest time, um, dogs were, or stray dogs were dealt with in a way that is really not very humane. So after my undergrad, I was really lucky to work at an animal shelter where we used to take care of these dogs in a humane way. So they were caught in a humane way. We did a huge spay-neuter program. And that's when I really started, um, we had other animals as well. So we had raptors, we had snakes. And, uh, you know, I really started looking at and thinking about animal behavior. And, you know, how is it that, what is it that tells a dog or a snake that it's hungry or it's thirsty? Um, what is it that even like a cat, you know, a mother cat, for example, and how a mother cat acts towards her kittens? Uh, you know, what is it that makes that, first of all, is conserved in behaviorally amongst all of us. And I really wanted to learn, in a way, what makes us who we are. I know that sounds so weird. Um, but actually, that working at the animal shelter was what really made me interested in neuroscience. Yeah. And then science has always been political uh, throughout the annals of time. And then that's definitely true in this moment we're in. How would you want to see our country get more people more interested in science in general, but also more trusting of, of scientific data, because that seems to be at a low point right now. I know that's, it's very interesting, also disappointing, very sad as a scientist, because, you know, science, I think, should be apolitical. Um, the applications of science are up to people to use, but science as a discipline really, I think, should have nothing to do with politics, which practically is not doesn't work that way because science or the scientific enterprise is funded by taxpayer money and you know by um, analogy by you know it's funded by who's in power so it's a very interesting time to be in and I think you know it's made me really think of what we can do as scientists to like you said um, have people trust science and one of the things I think is scientific communication. So I think historically, scientists haven't been very good at communicating to, to non-scientists. And it's really at our peril. You know, we are funded by taxpayer money. So I really do think that we have all an obligation to really talk about our science. And there's many issues with that, right? So the way science works is that it is iterative. So, you know, there may be a body of work. Um, there's new data that comes in that may change how we see things and when you think of something like COVID where there's so much going on you know that's I think that the daily quote-unquote change in recommendations is in many ways what uh, causes the hesitation with science and one of the things that I'm doing with the New York Academy of Sciences is put together a science communication workshop which will be piloted in June but I really hope to make it open to non-scientists in the future that goes through, you know, how do you dissect an article, right? So it's very disappointing to say, you know, 10,000 deaths, you know, 100,000 deaths without many times a context in which these things happen. There's very little um, empathy even. Um, so as scientists, I think the challenge for us is to really, how do we talk about science in a way that's factual and scientifically correct, but also empathetic and uh, in a way that makes people trust the scientific enterprise. Well said. When we come back after the break, we'll chat a little bit more 
about science and of course about the 2020 Institute, one of the more interesting ones in memory, as you can imagine. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, so the, the switch from in-person to virtual happened about March for y'all, I believe, as 2020 fellows in New York. How was the community of fellows able to stay connected to each other when that happened? Yeah, uh, February was in-person, which was amazing. And starting March, it's been virtual. I think um, one of the things that's really helped is, you know, we have our own WhatsApp groups. Um, I live in uptown Manhattan, so we have, thankfully, a whole bunch of other people that live uptown as well. And we've been able to keep in touch. The Slack, we have a Slack group for all the fellows. And I think just um, we have Sunday check-ins for the entire New York City NLC community. So that's really helpful as well. And I think just personal connections that even in the two months um, that have been really powerful. And then in terms of what you're hoping to get out of NLC in the first place when you joined, you know, one of the things I always value about the creation of these fellows groups is that you have folks representing many different professions. And obviously scientists is not something people might immediately think would be in, in a group focused on leadership training. So I'm curious, what was your main motivation to join the group and what were you trying to get out of it? Sure. Uh, you know, you're so right, right? Like as a scientist, I think I'm the, one of the very few scientists in NLC history in general and definitely in New York City, um, which is good and bad, right? So I think <laughs> it's interesting. And I think, I think science is and should be applicable to pretty much everything we do. And I think as a scientist, um, you know, how can, the reason I joined NLC is how can I really see to it that my scientific training and expertise can be used for broader public good? And I know it sounds very cliched, but, you know, it's interesting like how, um, because science is, is applicable to law, science is applicable to policy, pretty much everything that we can think of. And I think just having a group of very committed progressives who are working in all sorts of things, you know, reproductive justice, for example, criminal justice. And it's been a very interesting exercise in trying to figure out what I can do as a scientist and not just me, and what I can inspire other scientists to do. Um, as part of NLC, I'm working with some uh, politicians in the Bronx to really reimagine the healthcare system of the Bronx. Again, this is something that I could have never, ever imagined I could do without NLC. <laughs> yeah. And then do you find uh, in terms of the knowledge of, of folks in general about what science is capable of doing in a, in a public good or, or how science could be applied to policy? Um, yeah. What, what kind of things have you learned from your other fellows who might have been working in city government, like you mentioned, or maybe they work in education policy? Like, Where are maybe some new applications for for science that you might not have thought about before joining i no, that's a great question something i've definitely been thinking about i think as scientists we uh, you know we want to know all the quote-unquote facts before we make a decision and i think what i've really learned is you know the hesitation that happens because you think you don't know everything and i think i've been working on being okay with not knowing everything and still making my voice heard which I think has been pretty difficult historically for all scientists, but definitely for me. Um, yeah. Did I answer that question? You did very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, last thing, I, as we check in with people and, and we've tried to do a lot more episodes during these, these quarantine shelter in place times, and it's been an interesting time capsule. I was going back through a few of them 
uh, over the weekend. And, you know, it's sort of interesting to hear the, the, the tone and the topics of conversation when I was doing these podcasts, say on, on April 1st or on May 1st. And, and you know, today is, is June 1st. What, what do you feel like is, is likely going to happen to your city in the next two, two to four weeks? What's the, the mood like? What's the morale like as people try to reconsider how to open up more and more things? Yeah, I think pretty cautious, especially after, you know, this this past weekend. Um, I live in uptown Manhattan and we had protests here yesterday about, you know, well, everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. I think reopening is happening slowly. We've been told it's June 8th, but what it seems like it's that it's going to be slow, thankfully, um, and staggered. So I think there's a ton of hope, but also I would say cautious hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, you know, also maybe this is the real last thing I was just <laughs> kidding with you, but, you know, I was thinking of the NLC uh, fellows for 2021 and the application for the the program is, is open right now and, and pretty much runs through the end of August. What kind of advice would you give to people who are considering the program? What would you want them to think about or prioritize as they consider if NLC is the right thing for them to do in 2021? Uh, I think if, if you have even a slight, you know, because I was on the fence as far as applying and I wasn't sure if as a scientist, you know, it's like, I don't know if what I do is even um, even worthy <laughs> of something like NLC. I think uh, if you have even a slight curiosity, um, I would say apply. And if you have any intention of making your work, whatever it is, um, applicable to a broader audience, um, getting connected with an amazing set of people, not just in your fellowship, but also the alumni, pretty much all over the country. And it's an amazing experience to to be part of this fellowship. Um, I would say really apply. And I know there's the NLC Engage as well, which provides a lot of opportunities. I think the first weekend or the first week of NLC was really eye-opening for me. Um, you know, I think if we go about our daily lives, it's busy, it's hectic, but I think giving myself time to really think of what I've done so far and where do I want to go, I think having that time and having that fellowship um, was amazing. So uh, I think yeah, all those things. Yeah, well said. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can find that NLC application for a 2021 program at newleaderscouncil.org. Check it out. And also, if you want to hear past episodes of The Zag, find those at all the places you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also download and, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the places you're getting your podcasts. Listen to those today. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone stay safe out there. We'll catch you soon.